We're not bad people. We're just underachievers who have to make up for lost time. You don't have to talk to him. You just gotta kill him. Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself, William Shakespeare. My name is Matthew James Marquez, and I use he-him pronouns. And my name is Megan Charlo, and I use she-her pronouns. Today we are talking about 2001's Scotland, PA, written and directed by Billy Morissette. Scotland, PA premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and sadly was never picked up for major distribution. I am a thousand percent sure, though, that if it was sent to Sundance today, it would probably be picked up by some random streaming service. I know, it's unfair. Scotland, PA translates William Shakespeare's Macbeth to the United States in 1975 and the rise of the fast food industry. Most of the production information I tried to find was stuck behind an academic paywall. But I did find a few film reviews. Also, I found out that the press kit for the film was apparently released in the format of Cliff Notes, but I couldn't find that anywhere. Roger Ebert talked about it, and now I want that. So if anyone has the Cliff Notes production notes for Scotland, PA, hit us up at avantbardpod at gmail.com. So according to these film reviews, Billy Morissette first started connecting Macbeth to a fast food service job because he had one at Dairy Queen with a boss that he hated. And he was like, man, if only I could kill him. So there is a personal connection there. And I think we can all agree that cog jobs can make us go a little loopy. Maura Tierney, who plays Pat, our Lady Macbeth, said that she enjoyed playing in spaces that Lady Macbeth doesn't get to do in the original play because Lady M's presence in the play becomes less pronounced as it progresses. And it's a strange thing about Macbeth in general, that Lady Macbeth is such a strong force at the start, and then the more time passes, it's like, well, she's going crazy, so you don't want to see her. No, I want to see more of Lady M. We all do. She's got strong scenes at the beginning, Megan. If you are unfamiliar with the storyline of Macbeth, I suggest that you go back and check out our 10th episode titled simply Macbeth, which covers the Michael Fassbender version, which is definitely not the best version, but it almost completely follows the plot lines of the play. All right, Megan, it's time again. We're going back to a classic Marquez acting corner. I'll allow it. Mac, our Macbeth, is played by James LaGrosse, who is most notable for his recurring role of Mark Albert in Ally McBeal. That's the biggest thing I could find on IMDb. I feel like he could play a good Ted Bundy. Like, probably not now, because he's too old, but like, back when this was being filmed? Pat, our Lady Macbeth, as previously mentioned, is played by Maura Tierney, who was married to the director of the film at the time. She still fucking deserved it. She is known for her multiple-year roles in news radio, where she was Lisa Miller, and a frickin' ten-year stint on ER as Abby Lockhart. James Rebhorn, who is sadly no longer with us, played Duncan, and has a long, prolific film career, but I know as the dentist who hands Liz Lemon a pamphlet about hard cheeses and denies her a toy from the toy bucket, which has a Batman in it. And if you wind it up, he swims in the bath. I knew he looked familiar. (laughs) I tried to pull from a Megan source. Amy Smart, who plays Stacy, one of the witches, is a model slash actress who's famous for her roles in Varsity Blues, Road Trip, Rat Race, and was Ashton Kutcher's love interest in The Butterfly Effect. Kevin Corrigan, Anthony Banco Banconi, R. Banquo, 
is another prolific actor who I'm also going to butcher their career by saying, ah, he was Professor Professorson from that one episode of Community. That is, if I still exist. (laughs) He's got a long career, Megan. That's just what I pulled. Andy Dick is also in this film, but he is both a dick in real life and a sex pervert, so I'm not giving him any respect. And finally, how could we forget Megan? Christopher Walken. He plays Macduff. He is a meme of an actor, but also is an Academy Award winning actor for Best Supporting Actor in Deer Hunter. He is a Shakespeare alum, having played Hamlet, Macbeth, Romeo, and Coriolanus, which is such a weird fact to know about I want to see all of those, yet I probably wouldn't like most of them, sadly. Megan, what's your favorite Christopher Walken role? The Weapon of Choice music video (laughs) where he dances? That's a great role. He's great in it. It's so good! that's a good choice. I'm not judging you. That's just what always comes to my head when I hear his name. And then horrible impressions. Cue Matthew James Marquez. No, now I'm not going to do it. You figured out my secret. (laughs) If you don't want me to do something, all you have to do is encourage me. All right. My favorite Christopher Walken role. It's tough. I like him in everything. Is it this one? Is this your favorite of his? No, (laughs) no. Is it Weapon of Choice as well? Do you also love that music video? I mean, I do, but that's not the thing. He was the headless horseman. In Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, in which he wasn't Christopher Walken at all. He had none of the Walkenisms. He was just a terrifying present who went. Damn good. Damn good performance. Yep. It's probably my second favorite after that music video. That's it, though, Megan. It is time to begin the film. You find yourself in an amusement park closed down for the day. On the Ferris wheel are three strange figures smoking a lot. Yeah, they're stoners. They're fucking stoners. But ahaha, stoner witches. That's fucking good for modern. It's also 1975. So that's perfect for this. Sets the place perfectly. And it honestly makes sense for a modern witch. And they're kind of doing that thing where when you're high, you just kind of do like free word association. And they're saying fair is fair and foul is foul. To play off the fair is foul and foul is fair, hover through the fog and filthy airline of Macbeth. And I love it. Then we see some credits for what looks like some sort of 60s spy genre film or TV show. Yeah, like some of your, like, Mission Impossibles or Dragnet or something like that. Or the Avengers, like, some people with guns and helicopters, and I was very confused. I'm gonna be honest. It's not a very clear opening, Megan. No, but back to reality. We're at Duncan's Diner. Get it? Duncan. Like Duncan from Macbeth. Yes, the king. And we've got a manager who's a terrible person, and he's talking to Pat about how to fill ice cream cones, and he's making it really sexual. And I instantly hate him, and I want him dead. Yeah, and when she makes a good cone, the manager calls over to Mac and says, come look at your wife's beautiful cones. And I hate him more. And then Macbeth comes over and kisses her really loud. And I also don't like that in general. But this instantly showcases... A very common relationship that the Macbeths are shown to have, which is a very sexual-focused relationship, which typically I hate. Almost every production that I've seen puts this relationship in it, and I just dislike it because I think it's boring. But I can already tell in this production, just from this first scene, that it is done in a way that I prefer, which is that instead of Lady Macbeth using her sexuality to mislead Macbeth and force him to do things, he is just as frequently starting these interactions. So they are just a sexual couple in the 70s, and that is totally fine. They're just people, and sex is a part of their life, but it's not used specifically for terrible convincing. So I'm fine with it, for once. And I'm happy. Okay, football. We're at a football game now. Sure, and Duncan is there, watching his son, Donald, play football. 
And his other son, Malcolm, is also there. And Donald's team is getting their ass kicked. Duncan looks over to Malcolm and is like, wait, you're supposed to be working at the diner. And Malcolm goes, no, no, no. Doug, that manager, gave me the day off. He says it's slow. And we can tell already he doesn't want to work at this diner. He doesn't like it. He'd rather hang out with his brother, Donald. So Duncan says, nah-uh-uh, Malcolm, you're going back. Donald, your game's over. We're all going back to the diner and you're all going to help out. And as they walk in, it's super busy. Yeah, this manager fucking sucks. Doug sucks. Or Malcolm's lying because this is not an empty, slow day. And what do we see? It's so busy, people are getting raucous. And a food fight begins, which Mac jumps over the counter to stop. And I say... Wait, is this supposed to be like him showing his valor in battle? Like he's so good, he's going to jump over the counter to kick out the people who cause problems in Duncan's land? Yeah, he he cut that guy from neck to nape, Megan. Neck to nape. N- no more fries for you. Meanwhile, Doug the manager's hiding in the bathroom because he doesn't like the conflict. He's a terrible leader. He doesn't deserve this as much as Mac does. In a later scene... Pat yells at Mac about their situation. Because they're going home and Mac's just like, yeah, it kind of sucks. And Pat's like, are you kidding me? You're basically doing the job of the manager. Yeah, and we're not getting any money for it. We have to live in a trailer or like an RV or wherever they're living. He's not getting any credit for all that he does. And meanwhile, since Doug is their supervisor, Pat has to kiss up to him, even though he's a complete dick to her. It's a shitty situation, Megan. And we get the feeling that Macbeth has said before that he'll talk to Doug or talk to Duncan and try to get something better, but he just doesn't go through with it. And here's where we meet our good friend, Banco. To which Megan said, The subtitle's spelled Banquo wrong. But no, that his name is Banco. And Banco's a bit of a lush. And he drunkenly reveals to Mac that Doug has been stealing. It's a perfect opportunity. And Mac knows it and he kicks the jukebox to put on some new tunes. And he's magic and the tunes turn from diegetic to non-diegetic as he leaves the bar. I just find it interesting that this is how they're tying Banco into it. Because as we see in the next scene, when Mac stumbles upon the stoner witches, Banco's not there. So that's one way that it starts to stray from the play besides every other way that it does with its setting. Yeah, so he comes across the stoners, well, two of them, the two men in the amusement park, and they're doing like, the same stonery wordplay association thing. It's kind of very Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yeah. In which you're not really following, but there's some logic to it. And then... They call out Mac. Hey, Mac. Uh, Mac, Fleetwood. Mac, Ramey. And they start playing off Mac and tell him that their girlfriend is a fortune teller and she wants to read Mac's fortune. Mac's just like, how do you know my name? And both the stoners are like, what? That's actually your name? We just kind of like said it like, sup, Mac? Uh, Yeah. Hey, Mac. But also his name's not (laughs) Mac. No, his name's like... Joe Macbeth. But he goes by Mac. Yeah, I know. They go on the spinning teacups ride where we meet the third witch who begins to tell Mac his fortune and his future. And as she does so, they keep doing voice change effects where her voice will randomly drop super low and then go back to normal. And I think it's just so that she's more eerie and magical seeming. Yeah. So my question is, is the witch's voice being a different voice and being a man's voice a connection to the fact that the witches have beards? And there's Maybe. like some trans reading of the witches that has always existed because of the bearded witch thing. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would love to find out. But essentially what she tells him is that he deserves to be even more than a manager. You know, she says a bunch of stuff. She mentions she sees a bank teller, but for food. A drive up bank teller for food. Yeah. Weird. And Mac wakes up 
And we cut to the Duncan house. And Malcolm is so mad at his dad for not listening to him. And Donald is so gay for his dad letting him watch Cabaret. The way you make it sound, it makes it sound like it comes up naturally. It's just like, well, Donald doesn't want to play football. And then we see him watching Cabaret. And I'm like, oh, he's gay. It's very obvious. Okay. He's very gay. And Malcolm's like, I want to be a rock star. I don't want to own some diner. Basically, the scene exists just to establish that Malcolm hates Duncan. And he sometimes kind of wishes he was dead, which a lot of teens say to their parents, whether they think it for real or not. Later that day, we see that at Duncan's diner, Doug, the manager, has been caught red-handed stealing, and he is no longer part of the restaurant family. And as he goes to leave, Pat's sending him out the door, and he turns to her, and he's like, you're the only person who ever cared about me. And she pauses a bit and goes, I've never heard anyone say something so wrong. And I love her so much. Megan likes a strong female bitch. I love this bitch. And because of this, Norm Duncan is super excited about Mac rising up through the restaurant that he's willing to hear out his good ideas. Just one of them, though. He wants a French fry food truck that goes around giving out fries, but he doesn't like Mac's idea about little chicken that you serve to people. With dipping sauce. Yeah. Almost like a nugget. A nugget of sorts. He doesn't like it. Pat and Mac are over the moon and they make out a whole bunch. And then Duncan's like, hold up. I want to share my ideas with you. You're going to be my second hand man. You know, when I sold all my donut shops, people thought I couldn't run a burger establishment. And cue 45 minutes until Megan and Marquez realize that would make Duncan's prior establishment Dunkin' Donuts. But his new idea, he wants customers to drive through and not have to stop and go inside to get food. And I am so thankful for this film because as Duncan is talking, we just see Macbeth reacting and being like, the teller, the thing. And like his face is like falling, but they do not cut back to be like, remember two scenes ago, like most modern films would do. I mean, I just love it because the way that Duncan is describing it, there's a small kiosk where you order your food and then you go and you pick it up. and. I love that Mac responds very out of it. To, like he is not engaged in the conversation, but he just goes, you don't need a kiosk. You can use an intercom, like a bank teller. And Duncan's like, wow, what a great idea. I also want to point out that during this scene, Duncan is making Pat and Mac pretend that they're in a car and read a script that he hasn't written, but he wants them to just know it. It's just a very silly moment that helps us understand why Pat and Mac don't necessarily think Duncan is the best of leaders. I mean, he's also not the best of leaders, because instead of making Mac the manager, turns out he's going to make Malcolm the manager, and Mac's going to be assistant manager. Pat is not happy about it. So she leaves the room to go get cups. And Mac goes to the fridge to get drinks. And he struggles to open the door and wham, hits Duncan in the head with the fridge door. Duncan's dead. No, but but, but Pat comes in and thinks he's dead and is like, oh my God, I'm so proud of you. I just wish I'd seen it. And Mac's like, I didn't, I didn't, no. What I love is... She's just down to clown. They hadn't said a word about it. No one had said you should probably kill Duncan, but she just thinks that he did it in a rage. And she's like, well, my husband's the best. Great initiative, honey. But nah, he gets up and the Macbeths drive home. And Pat's just like, all right, we'll do it tomorrow then. Their chemistry is just exactly what I want from the Macbeths. It seems so ridiculous that I'm saying this about a movie that's set in fast food chains in the 70s. But she is so certain and he is so 
unsure but willing to go along with it and they're there for each other they're supportive of each other and it's just such a good relationship like it's not a good relationship stop laughing marquez i know it's a bad relationship but it's like their chemistry is it's just unbelievable no that's not why i'm laughing megan I'm laughing because you care so much about Lady M and M's relationship. And I, I'm just like, yeah, it's good. I love that you care so much and I'm letting you just go off. But I'm just sitting here just like, yeah, I, love, I like this because I don't have a strong opinion on their relationship and the play I just, or adaptation. I just judge their relationship so much in other versions. Like, I hated it in Fassbenders because it was confused and they gutted Lady Macbeth's character. And this is, like, polar opposite. Okay. Where, like, I see them as a team. And their plan right now is that they're going to pretend to rob Duncan's diner and it's going to be a robbery gone bad. And, you know, Duncan's just gonna die because that happens sometimes in robberies. This is the screw your courage to the sticking place scene, even though, you know, it's not at their castle or anything. This is it because Mac is not willing to go along with this right now. Well, he's scared. It's committing a murder. Well, yeah, I mean, one does not just commit a murder. It's a little bit weird, and I would like to bring this up at this point. Mac here is not a consummate soldier. Macbeth kills people. A lot of people, and then is asked to kill one more person. It's and a big difference. It is a big difference because there is a major difference between just killing someone when you've never killed someone before, and that's not who you are as a person. It becomes less of betraying the trust of the king and your host, which is really what the main thing is in Macbeth, and it's more about just killing a person. Are you willing to become a murderer for your dreams? Yeah, that's a huge difference. And yeah, I I like that he's unsure because it is more than in the original. Yeah, and he tells her, what are we doing here? And she goes, we're coming to our fucking senses. That's what we're doing. I don't want to be an assistant manager's wife. And that's where we also get the line from the beginning of we're not bad people. And I love that, that justification Shakespeare talks a lot about ambition in Macbeth, and what Pat and Mac are talking about is being underachievers. It's not that they are in a position of power and want to grab more power on top of it, because Macbeth in the play, by the time they're discussing killing the king, he's thane of two places. Yeah, like he's sitting pretty. He he could happily live his life. But I think that that difference is important to note. They are underachievers. They got nothing. And I think that that makes it a little bit more interesting because they're coming from nothing. And yeah, it's it's will you risk everything to get something? Something. Will you risk everything to get anything? Yeah. They're talking about murder. And then old man Andy is creeping in on them being like, what are you kids doing? You look so beautiful and happy together. I want you two to kiss in front of me. <laughs> They're just like, no, we're fine. It's important to note that he exists in yes, the homeless movie. man Andy, who seems to have a fairly friendly relationship with Mac. So the next day, it's Banco's birthday, and Yay. they're at a bar. They're at a bar playing Yahtzee. And while this is happening, we're cutting back and forth between this and some other scenes. We see that Malcolm's just not good at the restaurant. Thinks he doesn't care about it. He's like, hey, Dad, I quit. I don't care that you just made me the manager. I'm done. And we cut back to the party and Mac and Pat want to try to leave because they want to try to kill Duncan. But now a nurse walked in and if Mac's going to pretend to be sick, he's got to fool a nurse. Yeah, how is he going to do that? He's going to go into the bathroom and put his head under the hand dryer for a while and then immediately run up to her and be like, feel my head. Yeah, it's hot. Okay, bye. But Pat is so impressed by Mac. She's like, you're giving me a fucking fever. You're brilliant. And they make out some more. And then Mac's like, I don't want to talk to Duncan. Like, I can't do it. He's my boss. He trained me, etc. And she's like, just kill him. Don't talk to him. Just kill him. And so, like, that was the party scene in Macbeth. Except Duncan wasn't there. But, like, right before the murder is a party. Yeah. 
of like, Duncan's here and everyone's here and wow, we love them. Feast, 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 good night. And so we get a little bit of that. And I like it. Another thing that I didn't take note of, but is important for the plot later, is as the Macbeths are driving to the restaurant, Malcolm speeds past going to play with his band and they see each other. It was inconsequential at the time. So they sneak in to Duncan's diner and they smack Duncan in the head with a pan and Max smacks him again. Malcolm goes, I feel bad. I'm going to turn back and say something to my dad. And we're like, "Uh oh, it's a race against the clock now. And we're downstairs and Norm's all tied up. And Max just like, he won't tell me the combination. And Pat's like, that's because you have him gagged. You got to take off the gag. It's so good because obviously Macbeth is like flustered. He's losing it a bit. Like he he can't keep this up. And Pat's like, no. And they do like a little. I got the line, Megan. Yeah. I know you don't do this every day. And I think you're doing an excellent job, okay? But the thing is, it's late and we need the goddamn safe open. And it's so good because they're just like behind Duncan, just having this like little rally. And then Matt goes, I don't think I can do it. What do you mean? We're We're doing it. And he's like, no, it. <laughs> and Duncan's like, oh, oh God, and starts oh. trying to sneak away. And she's just like, Duncan's escaping. Can you handle that, honey? And I just love how she is involved in more of it. Oh, I love that she's actually there for the murder. And it's not just her being like, you left the daggers. What a screw up. Oh, also the fact that she's there for it and she's not. Oh, but he looks like my dad did. And so I couldn't do it. Which is what Lady M says. She's not like that. And so then the witches show up. And I'm like. How'd you get in? What the hell's going on? And the stoner witches say two points slam dunk. And Mac gets scared and accidentally pushes Duncan into the fryer. Pat comes right in with it's done. It can't be undone. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's Macbeth reference. What's done cannot be undone thing. But uh oh. Some of the grease splashed up on her hand. Ooh, it's like the blood, but it's grease. And she burns her hand. And boy, howdy, they just committed a murder accidentally. They're so horny. They're going to have sex on the blueprints for the drive through And then, uh-oh, Malcolm's here. Knock, knock, knock. Who's there in the other devil's name? But it's actually Malcolm, and he says sorry. But then he's pissed off. Because he's like, fine, don't fucking answer. And then he leaves in a rush and he drives off super fast. And we cut to a funeral. And once more, I love Pat because Mac and Pat obviously are faking it and trying to seem sad. And Pat just turns to Mac and says, no one has looked at me once and I deserve a fucking Oscar for this performance. And I believe that more Tierney deserves an Oscar for this performance. And later, Pat lays it on thick for Banco about how Duncan was a father to her and she wished she would have said something before he died. And Banco's just like, did you burn yourself? And he's like eyeing her like, yeah, okay. We worked there too. (laughs) Yeah. You never liked him that much. Like, that's the thing. These people know you. They know you're not super close with management. But it's time, Marquez. Lieutenant Macduff has entered the scene. Oh. Except he doesn't do it. He's just very much just an actor. I said he's not Christopher Walken in this movie. I said he's Christopher Strollen. And he talks to Mac and Pat, introduces himself, introduces the fact that his family's vegetarian. He brought a baba ganoush. And I am instantly endeared to him because he tells the Macbeths that he envies them because by the time he gets to his customers, they're usually dead. And at least you get a chance to kill them. You know, all that greasy food. (laughs) So good. (laughs) This film is so funny. I had to pause it to laugh out loud. I love this film. I mean, I think it's funny, Megan. I didn't expect it is the thing. I thought, honestly, I thought it was just going to be like a decent 1970s set Macbeth. It's better than that. It is far better than that. We cut to later on, same home, the Duncans, and there's someone at the door, but Donald is too busy being gay 
watching shirtless men on the TV to answer it. And Malcolm is like, come on, we gotta get this done. And Donald goes, I'm gonna make fondue. Because he's like, are we still rich? And Malcolm's like, yeah. And he's like, I don't care then. I'm gonna go make fondue. Make sure it's chocolate, not cheese. I'd be fine with either. I mean, I'd be more fine with chocolate because I'm lactose intolerant. Yeah. And who was at the door? The Macbeths. Oh, and they're buying the restaurant from Malcolm. They come in and they do the whole, you know, oh, so sorry that this is the circumstance, etc. And Malcolm says, well, you know, at least they found the guy. Max, like, what? They found the guy. Yeah, you know, that homeless guy, Andy, he woke up with all of my father's jewelry on him. Pat, what did you do? No one says that but Megan in the audience. Oh, no, I have that down on my notes, too. I was like, Pat did it without telling Mac. Uh, They supposed to be communicating at every step. And they're going through, they're buying it. Mac almost says that they're buying it for too cheap, but Pat's like, shut up, we want it this cheap. And Malcolm says, if I wanted this place as bad as you do, my father would have died a happier man. And that is sad. But Pat reassures him and says, no, don't worry. The most important thing is that we carry on his legacy and keep his name alive. And then we cut to them changing the name of the restaurant to Macbeth's. And there's a drive through because no one else got to hear about the drive through idea, so they get to pretend it was all theirs. And we see some scene transitions from the old restaurant to the new restaurant. No people in there. A lot of people in there. The menu has a bunch of items named after the Macbeths, and it's funny. Because it's McDonald's. Yeah, it's McDonald's. It's McDonald's. And there's the chicken nuggets. They live in a huge house now with an above-ground pool. She's teaching people how to use the ice cream machine. But uh uh-oh, McDuff is visiting. And he's just like, I just want to pretend I work here. I've always wanted to work at a restaurant. And he just does the little, like, your orders already. But he also tells them that they had to let Andy go because just finding the jewelry on him wasn't enough. There was no weapon. There was no witness. No DNA evidence. And he asks, what's this sauce? This is very important. He asks, what's this sauce? And Pat goes, oh, it's for ice cream. You dip it. Do you want one? And I look at Megan. I want one. That's my favorite thing at DQ. Megan loves a dip cone. And in quarantine, that's an impossible thing to get. And they tell McDuff, hey, we're going to have a party next week for the new drive-in. Why don't you come? One might say a feast to celebrate us being king and queen now. Next scene, we have Malcolm. He says goodbye to Donald because he's going to Atlantic City for his band. Good for him. Well, Donald doesn't like it because that's a place of sin. He doesn't like gambling. He doesn't like any of it. He's a nice, calm, gay boy that just likes show tunes. And we cut back to Macbeth's and... Macduff is finding out that Malcolm was found speeding away from the restaurant the night of Duncan's death. Mm-hmm. And this lady who works there was like, yeah, Malcolm always swore a lot about his dad. He was a rude, selfish, evil young man, but I never once judged him. It's not my way. And that's going to be me when I'm old. And also, Banco incriminates Malcolm. He doesn't do it on purpose like everyone else does, just retells, yeah, he didn't like his dad. But then he's like, well, I also think it's weird that Mac and Pat left my party early that night, and McDuff's just like, no, 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 more about Malcolm. I mean, he's got a lead. And now we fucking realize Dunkin' Donuts. When McDuff starts talking to Mac about it again, Mac's just like, you know, I think he knew donuts better. And we both went, Dunkin' Donuts. Donuts. Oh my God, we're dumb. Megan. Yeah. My favorite bit in the whole movie. Yeah. Macduff's talking to Mac about Malcolm and the success of his business. And Macduff just goes, Hey, I like your idea about a French fry truck giving free French fries to people around town. 
get them hooked like kids on drugs. It's yeah. wonderful. It's wonderful. Christopher Walken plays it up so well. Christopher Walken is a gem, a comedic delight. Speaking of the fry truck, it's got issues. So it needs to go to the mechanics. And so Banco and Mac are looking at it. And Banco asks Mac why he didn't tell him about the drive-thru. Because Mac always tells Banco his ideas. And this is just kind of weird. Mac yells at him. And I get sad because I know what happens in Macbeth. And this is when Banquo starts being like, um, so the witch has said that thing, and uh, now it happened because of a strange, surprising death. Hmm. It's gonna me you think he gotta kill Banquo. Yeah. And now we get the scene where I was like, man, I think that Max actor is actually incredible. Yeah. Because he's just watching TV. And Pat goes and gets a drink and comes out to talk to him. And he pays no attention to her. And he's just zoned out into the TV. And he just says, Banco's a problem. And she's just like, don't worry about it. It's fine. Banco's a problem. But it's just so dark and eerie so quickly. And I'm like, a switch flipped in this man. Yeah. It is so well done. And Pat can obviously tell too. And she's looking pretty nervous. Okay, Megan, this is very good. What I mean by this is, this is somebody who had nothing, got wealthy, and doesn't want anything to threaten that wealth. (laughs) Again, there's a weird power thing with Macbeth in the play because he already has wealth. But in this, he knows that his wealth could easily just go away. Either Banco's gonna turn him in or Banco's gonna ask for some of that wealth. So we cut to Donald and he's hanging out with all of his gay theater friends. They're singing Godspell. It's nice. He's wearing this tight Superman crop top over his other clothes. Super gay. And McDuff comes in and is like, I want to talk to Malcolm. And Donald's like, Malcolm left town. He also took all the money. Which, of course, seems super sketch. And McDuff's like, oh, is that so? Well, then I want to ask you some questions. Donald's like, you don't have any right to ask me about that. Because he thinks he's going to ask if he's gay. And boy, it's obvious. No one needs to ask. Yeah. And McDuff's just like, how is Malcolm's relationship to Duncan? And he's like, oh, oh, okay. They hated each other. So Macduff goes, all right, I gotta track down Malcolm. Yep. To Atlantic City we go, to a strip club, where Malcolm's band is playing in the background. And while this is happening, Banco goes to the police, only to learn that Macduff has left. Uh-oh, something bad's gonna happen to Banco. Megan is worried about Banco. Back in Atlantic City, Macduff is talking to Malcolm and is like, you know, your alibi stinks, right? You say you were mad and then you just drove off and drove around for some hours and you have no one to support your alibi. It stinks. So how about you take a breath and let's have a conversation that makes you not guilty? What I do love is that Macduff is just like, that alibi so bad that it probably is true. Yeah, he's like, I think you're you'd, a smart ma- kid. you'd make up a better alibi if you didn't do it. So how about you say something that will convince me that you didn't do this? And we cut back to the Macbeths and Mac has retreated further and further away from his wife. They make it so perfectly obvious just by the staging. Because for the first time in this film, they're not next to each other. They're sitting on opposite ends of the table while they're eating. And it just stuck out to me like a sore thumb because they're always like wrapped up in each other. She is at this point asking him, well, what are you going to do? What's your plan? He's like, I don't know. I'll think of something. I'm going to go hunting. I love that they're not telling each other things now. But I also think that if... She had told Mac about Andy. They would probably be a little bit better. She already kind of broke the trust and the whole thing. Malcolm tells Macduff that actually that night he saw the Macbeths driving really fast, also near Duncan's. We also learn in this scene that Pat keeps putting concealer on her burn. 
Yeah, she doesn't want everyone to see it and know that they did it. Macduff calls the police station and is it, like, is there anything for me? And the officer on duty is like, yeah, you got a letter from Banco. He left you a message. And Macduff's like, okay, read it for me. And Ed's like, he sealed it in an envelope. I don't want to be going opening other people's mail. It's a federal offense. I can't do that. It's cute. It's funny. But he opens it up. Banco's like, that's what the note says. Yeah, it's just like, and says, well, me and Macbeth are going on a hunting trip, so. Talk to you soon, I hope. We're going to Burnham Woods for hunting. Well, he doesn't say that in the no, letter, Megan, Megan. No, but we we know it. Me- Megan, that would make McDuff's job so much easier if yeah. he said that. No, we just, we know they show us them going into the woods and there's a sign that says Burnham Woods. And I go, ooh, like Macbeth. Pat goes to the pharmacist and she's like, I need burn cream. And they're like, okay. And she's just like, I need a lot of it. And they're just like, what do you need it for? And she's like, ha how nice of you. As if you can't see it. But they can't see it because there is no burn anymore. It's gone, but she keeps seeing it. And Macduff and Malcolm go to the Duncan's house and see that Donald has a boyfriend, apparently. And also that Banco was at Malcolm's for some reason. And on the radio, they hear a self-help book thing that's like, don't toil in your troubles. And it's funny because it's like double, double toil and trouble. And then they call the Macbeths and Pat's just like, oh, yeah, he's hunting somewhere. I don't know where. I've got a map. You, I could find it. I can totally get you to go the wrong place and give Mac more time. And meanwhile, in the woods, Mac's about to shoot Banco. But then the stoner witches come in. They're in a deer costume going through the woods? Yeah, they're shot blocking. And uh uh-oh, Pat managed to lead Macduff to the wrong place, like we said before. And uh uh-oh, we have a shot of Mac and the boys, and they're all bloody, and we don't see Banco. (gasps) Did he do it? And Macduff's self-help book is saying tomorrow is tomorrow. Which is also like tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, yada, yada, Macbeth. Uh, It turns out, just so you guys know, Banco is not dead. He's just very drunk. And it was a dead deer. And that's the blood that they have. And Pat is trying to chill her hand because it's burning. The, The scar is not only a scar that she sees, it is also actively burning. So Banco is going to spend the night because he's so drunk, they don't want him driving home. Yeah, okay, that's the reason. But the Macbeths tell the police that they don't know where Banco is. Those liars! I thought they were morally good people! What I like here is, now we're in full Mad King Macbeth territory. Oh, yeah, he's terrifying now. Yeah. And they're arguing a lot. I'm anxious. What I like is... Now Max giving Pat orders. Yeah. Instead of being distant or not telling her what he's going to do, now he's telling her to go do things. Which is what happens in Macbeth. He starts taking charge and she starts feeling the guilt and having it eat away at her. And while that's not as strong in this one, like we see the guilt affecting her by her reacting to her hand. But she doesn't lose her mind like Lady M does, which is weak. So now we're at a part where I think it's confusing, but I want to lay it out. Yeah. The truck that wasn't working before needs to get picked up. Yeah, because it was dropped off at the mechanics. Yes. So Mac's plan is tell the mechanic that Banco's going to pick the truck up tomorrow. They're going to keep Banco drugged until tomorrow. Yeah. By giving him Valium and Alka-Seltzer mixed together. And Mac's going to go to the truck to do something. He doesn't have a plan. That's what I think is very clear is that Mac's like, I don't really have a plan. We're going to go there and I'm going to kill him. Yes. The rest, I I don't know. And he yells that at Pat and it's super stressful and I love it. And my world shattered a little bit. And I just wrote, fuck, a bunch of times in my notes. So he goes to the mechanics beforehand, late at night. He finds homeless man Andy sleeping there who has a gun because he pulls it on Mac and Mac goes, oh, is that your gun? Let's go back and drink. To which at this point, I believe Mac kills Andy. I believe so. He used very scary eyes. Oh, yeah, of course he does. 
because when he comes back later that night in a silent scene, he enters the house and he's got blood on his neck. And it's like he's one of the murderers in Macbeth who goes into the banquet and it's like, there's blood on you. And it's like, tis Banquo's then, but it's tis Andy's then. Yep. And then he quietly goes and tells Banco, you need to pick up that truck. They go to the garage. And Banco's like, the garage isn't open yet. And Macbeth's like, oh, he said he'd leave the keys somewhere. Why don't, how about you go look around and I'm going to go in this garage where I know there's a gun and then I'll tell you to come in here. And then we see a shotgun shot out of the garage wall. That means we know that Banco's dead. See, this is how you do guns. You just make the sound of the gun and show it affecting somewhere else. You don't show it go on to a person. Because that's hard. Just don't do it. Yeah, learn from O and learn from that one episode of Star Trek. Just don't do it. Just say, bang. And then we go, oh, he dead. So now it's the big party for the drive-thru. But Pat, Pat fucked up. Pat's too nervous. And she calls McDuff. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Was that the wrong map? Oh, but she called like three hours. So just when it was long enough for McDuff to be gone. And McDuff is a detective. And is like, that's super damn suspicious. The Macbeths did it. So good job, Pat. I still love you, but God, you're bad at this. So I love the lead up to the party because, Megan, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Mm-hmm. Want to know what I love? Seeing people who are actually like broken preparing for a happy event and pretending everything's fine, but you can tell by the looks on their faces that they're hiding a deep, dark secret and they're like not themselves anymore. Yes, but that's not what I was going to say. That's really specific, Megan. I mean, it's a thing I like and they do it. Yeah. I like shots where a character is lording over a place that they are in control of because we have a shot, which is the same as the shot that you just described, which is people trying to hold it together when they don't have it together. But we see them before the party in the restaurant sitting at one of the booths together. And even though it is a fast food restaurant booth, the way that they are sitting and looking, they look like they're king and queen. It's so good. Like I've said a bunch of times, this film is damn good. (laughs) But then one of their employees is like, are you guys ready? And Pat just goes, ah, don't don't do that. (laughs) And I love it. We cut to outside and Malcolm has shown up. Macduff is there. We see that Pat is wearing an astounding outfit. And Marquez turned to Megan and was like, that outfit's really good it's like this cool black and white deal uh, it's beautiful with with like a forest pattern on the what did burnham wood come to Macbeth's? (gasps) good job man you brought it home (laughs) and then they ask if the crowd has any questions about the drive-thru it's a very bad pr event because yeah like oh does anyone want to say anything at all to us and the lady in the crowd's just like i love your outfit don't tell me you paid full price. And she just goes, no, I got it on sale at Jimenez. And everyone goes, oh, and they take notes. And Matt goes, Banco? And Banco's ghost says, why did you kill me? And this scene fucking rules. This yes, adaptation They fucking... did the thing. They did the thing of like, no one sees the ghost, but Max sees the ghost and it goes at the party. And Pat's like, the hell is going on? And the whole crowd's like, what is he talking to? Kind listeners. I just need to make the statement that at several points in this film, I forgot the plot of Macbeth. Which is wild, because you've been in it multiple times. I've been in it multiple times. That's probably the play I have the most experience with. And I just forgot that a ghost shows up, and I got so excited. Because it's so good. They play it off so well. And we get to see the thing that we ask for in every adaptation of Macbeth we see, which is, I want to see what the rest of the party's reaction is to this. Because we see the audience looking around like... And because it's a film, you don't have to choose whether or not the ghost is there or the ghost is not, because you can show both. Take that theater, a thing that I studied for four years. Fuck you. 
One thing I really like is Pat's worried about Mac, and it's just like, hey, maybe you should go sit down. And Mac goes, maybe he should go sit down. Like a um, child. Well, and also, I love that, like the play Macbeth, Pat's trying to be like, he's had a condition since he was a young man. And it's like, no, this is almost a word for word, what Lady M says in the play. And it's not in focus. No. It's like quiet while we're watching Mac, but we hear her say it in the background. And I love it because they could have had her say nothing. And we just watched Mac. We cut back inside the restaurant because... Mac is freaking out, and because Mac is freaking out, Pat starts freaking out, and she puts her hand in the ice in the restaurant while Mac is like, I need to go find those stoner witches, and he just fucking leaves her, and she's left holding the bag as people come into the restaurant, and she's just like, ha 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 anyone need anything? Ha ha, does anyone want some ice, ice that my hand has been in? Super sanitary, I promise. <laughs> We find out Andy's missing. Yeah, Mac killed him. We know. And Pat's like, I need the ointment. And that's when we find out for sure that the pharmacist cannot see a single burn on Pat. It's all in her head. Yep. They think she might be on drugs. And she accuses him of fucking his assistant. That's the scene. So Mac finds a magic eight ball just in a field. And when he touches it, he's suddenly on the fairgrounds again that had the Ferris wheel. So magic is real? Well, Megan, I mean, is magic real in Macbeth? So magic's real? In the 1970s, magic. See, it's weird because when you say like something's historical, I'm much more (laughs) willing to be like, oh yeah, no, before dragons went extinct. Like, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I I get what you mean, Megan, but you also have to understand that when Macbeth was written, people thought witches were real. No, I know, but like in this 1970s set version, oh, he done teleport. Oh, also, witches are real. Yeah. If you call yourself a witch, my apologies. I'm not even doing a bit right now. I meant that witches were evil, demonically possessed people whose sole purpose was to destroy the lives of the people around them. Yeah, like they thought that was a thing. Yeah. And I think that he grabs the magic eight ball, teleports to the amusement park. And then we just cut back to- And we cut to Macduff entering the Macbeth's house. And Mac is like fucking drunk seeming. Yes. And it's a rough scene. Mac is suspicious of Macduff being on to them. And Macduff is like, yeah, I'm on, I'm on to you. Yeah. And Macbeth is like, maybe I can offer you a drink that you vegetarians like, like a martini. And Macduff is like, because it has an olive in it. Yeah. That's a fruit. You eat fruit when you're a vegetarian. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It's weird. Their interactions are very weird, and they're supposed to be, I'm sure. I'm certain, because it's a weird scene, and Macbeth is, like, so close to offending Macduff while Macduff is sure that Macbeth did this. Meanwhile, Pat has an oven mitt on. But their interaction basically ends with Macduff saying, so did you know that Banco got murdered? And Mac just says, why do you think I'm so drunk? That's a good response. It's a good response. It's not a lie. It's just leaving out the fact that you did the murder. And Pat is not okay. And Pat's freaking out. And Pat's upset. And I feel bad. Because everything's falling apart. And then the witches call Mac. And are like, Hi, it's us. There's no one on the line. Yep. But it's the witches. And Mac's just like, No, Pat, I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to take care of you. It's a really creepy moment. It's so scary and so tense and like you can't feel good. Like you have to feel bad for them. Ha ha ha, comedy, black comedy. This is where it goes away. But I think that that's what makes a comedy good. You have to ground it in some sort of real feelings or else the comedy doesn't really hit. It's fine. We're going to push more comedy on because, oh, look. The stoners are here. They're at Macbeth's. They're on the letters. They're just chilling. They're hungry because they're stoned. And they're like, oh, I know. Mac should kill Macduff's entire family. And as one of the others goes, yeah, that would work about a thousand years ago. These are modern times. You can't go around killing everybody. I love it. 
I love this film. I'm dialed in. I appreciate that so much because that's what we always say. We're like, okay, what are you going to do about this, though? Because it's modern times. You can't get away with that shit. Killing like three people. But then killing an entire family? No. Yeah. You're not going to be able to also do that. You're, you're caught by then. It also just showcases the fact that Macbeth has more power than Mac. Yeah. It's like, uh, one is a king, and if a king tells you that someone deserves to die... You do it, because he's your king. But if a guy who owns a McDonald's says something, you go, put that man in jail, sir. (laughs) Yes, he he has killed several people. Mac knows he has to get to the source of the problem, and right then, policeman Ed comes in, and he's just like, hi, I'm just hungry. And Mac's like, "Uh uh-huh. I know that Ed's here because Macduff sent him. So he's like, come on in here. And he takes Ed's gun and he ties Ed up. And then Macduff shows up and he sees Ed all tied up. And Ed's like trying to tell him like, Mac's on the roof. Watch out. Get up there. And Macduff climbs the roof to find a bunch of food waiting for him. A value meal. It's like three of them. Yeah. I'm like, I'd eat it. I mean, it would be a good trap for Megan. Good Megan trap. But he's a vegetarian. He's not going to fall for this. Uh Uh-oh, Mac's here, and he's going to kill Macduff. And they're fighting, but most of their fight is them just trying to explain what happened. And Macduff's like, really, Mac, you want me to believe that Duncan accidentally got tied up and fell into a fryolator? And Mac's like, you know, it's kind of hard to explain. You kind of had to be there. (laughs) And it's funny, but you're also like, ooh, it's a big fight. Something I really love is that Macduff also is like, what? And what's Pat got to do with it? And Mac doesn't throw her under the bus. Yeah. He goes, she had nothing to do with it. And I'm like, that's my boy. Yeah. He I does, mean, I don't want him to be my boy, but like. He does love her. He loves her so much. Yeah. He's not willing to give her up. Well, because that's the thing. I believe that that's what would happen as well in the original play if it had ever come to that. But yeah, she uh, offs herself she before offs herself. then. But interspersed with these scenes, we see Pat really doesn't like this hand that she's got. No, it's bothering her a lot. Back to the roof. They're going to shoot each other. Mac tries to shoot at Macduff. And Macduff's like, I wouldn't let that policeman put bullets in his gun. He's a big dum-dum. So Mac drops the gun and he throws himself at Macduff and they're fighting and he's forcing a burger into Macduff's mouth and Macduff bites Mac and either way that is not vegetarian friendly. And Macduff's gun falls off the roof of the restaurant and onto the roof of Mac's car which is now the appropriate moment to bring up that Mac got a new car when he became rich, and that car has longhorn antlers on the front, which I didn't think to take note of before because I said, like many things in the past, why would this ever come up again? Until Mac goes to get Macduff's gun while Macduff is out of commission. And he grabs the gun and he's like, yeah, I got it. And Macduff tackles Mac from the roof and impales Mac onto the horn. And somehow has not injured himself at all. But the horns were important, it turns out. And Mac looks up and he sees the roof of his castle, the restaurant, and the three witches are up there and they're waving goodbye at him. They're so happy. And we cut to Pat and she cuts her damn hand off with a huge ass cleaver. What I love is that she doesn't scream or freak out. She's relieved as she passes out and presumably dies from blood loss. It's wild. Megan, this rules that she cuts her hand off. Oh, I'm so glad. Like, I would rather have her cut off her hands than kill herself. Megan, I want a Macbeth where that happens. Like, she does die still, so technically she is killing herself, but it's, like, more invested. I want an onstage Macbeth where we have a dumb show. Where she cuts off her hand and bleeds out? Where she cuts off her hand, and then we hear the scream, and then maybe that side of the stage goes dark, and then the side of the stage still has Macbeth. Like, it's in the middle of that scene where he's talking, and then the servant comes in and says... Lady Macbeth is dead, and he goes, oh, tomorrow and tomorrow yeah, and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day. I want to see her do that, because that fucking rules. But that's not the end of the film. 
we get a tight little epilogue where Malcolm and Donald go back to Macbeth's. They see the bodies. They go, wow, this is what happened. And then the landscape changes. And Macbeth's is now Macduff's Garden Burger. And Macduff retired and he opened a restaurant and he said he was envious of them for being restaurant people and now he done it. Yeah. And it's like Macduff defeated Macbeth and is like, I'm the guy now. I feel bad for him because he's about 45 years too early for Beyond Burgers to be a really big deal. He's going to have to deal with a lot of shitty veggie burgers. Or maybe he's going to create the Beyond Burger. Before the t- this timeline, we- it's a better one than it's ours. It's a better timeline. And a naked man runs past him and I have no idea why. I don't get it. I don't know why they did that. But he's happy and I'm happy for him. That's that's it. That's the movie. That's the movie. We did it. I love this film. It's a great I, film. I know it's pretty obvious based on hearing me talk about it this entire episode, but I did not expect to like this movie as much as I do. It's really good. Oh, no. Marquez. What? How are we supposed to pick an MVP? Oh, that's easy for me. That's fine. Can I pick two? Sure. There are no rules here, Megan. Mine's the Macbeths, because I can't pick between Mac and Pat. Okay. My favorite is Morna Tierney as Pat. Well, like, so here's my thing. I can't pick between them because I think their reactions to each other and how they build off of each other is what makes this so incredible. So it just feels unfair to me to pick one over the other. But I'm like super shocked that James LaGrosse doesn't have a huge career when it comes to acting. I mean, some people just don't make it, Megan. He's so good. Megan, some people just don't make it. Like, did he just not want to go for stuff anymore? Or were they just like, "Mm, nah, sorry, the Ted Bundy flick's going to come out in decades and it's going to star Zac Efron. Sorry, bud. Yeah, Megan, I mean, some people just don't make it. Then he should have killed a better actor so that he could take their place. My question is, what's Christopher Walken doing in this movie? I want to know that story of how they got him to be in this movie. I swear, they must just be like, oh yeah, no, we're buds. Because you could be like, well, Christopher Walken wasn't that big of an actor. This movie came out in 2001. People knew who Christopher Walken was already. Maybe Christopher Walken was just like, oh shit, I love the sound of this. Megan, my choice would be Christopher Walken if he wasn't Christopher Strollin and he was actually going full Walken. No. How? Why? Because I think his performance, while funny and good, is like pretty by the books. He's playing it like I think a good actor would play a role, but he's not being Christopher Walken. Part of the reason why I love Christopher Walken is that Christopher Walken is Christopher Walken. But like when your favorite film of his, he's not being Christopher Walken. Yeah, it doesn't, Megan. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Megan, the rules don't matter. The points are made up. Anyways, I didn't choose him. I I chose Maura Tierney, who I think is just fucking phenomenal. She's incredible. I get your point. You didn't need to defend yourself. I think he's a good actor too. No, it's just hard. Like that's, but that's my thing is like, I couldn't pick him because then I think that would be disrespect to her. So like, I have to pick both. Megan, maybe you just haven't seen that good of Macbeth's ever. And you like this one. I don't want to throw shade on Macbeth's I've seen in the past. All right, Megan, it's time for another segment of what did Roger Ebert say about this? So Roger Ebert gave Scotland PA two and a half out of four stars. Not the greatest. I think it's at least a solid three, but okay. I would give it a three, two out of four. Definitely. He says, if you know Macbeth, it's funny. Anyone who doesn't is going to think these people are acting mighty peculiar, which I do think brings up a good point. Does this adaptation, though we like it, offer something for people who have never seen the original work before. So I would definitely never say, if you have an exam on Macbeth, you should watch Scotland PA beforehand. Oh yeah, no. Because also important plot points are changed, leaving out the modernization and everything. I think that this is an adaptation for fans of Macbeth, for sure. Yeah. It, in that sense, can't stand on its own. Which I don't think adaptations need to, but... It's important to note. 
I think we should definitely take into consideration whether something stands on its own as an adaptation and stands on its own as its own work. Because I think the perfect adaptation is out there, and we haven't had one yet that does both. We'll find you one day, the Rainbow Connection. The 2017 of Midsummer came close, I think, to being both. Like, I don't know if I could say that a perfect adaptation changes plot points. Because, like, that's one of the things that I love most about that Midsummer. But, man, but I'd say it would. If, what if they you're suck? Changing, if, if the plot points if, suck? If, you, if what you're changing makes the story better. It's hard. Yeah, it is hard. I mean, I, there's no perfect answer, and there no. won't be. But it's nice to think about, because we enjoyed this flick, and we think it's worth your time. And it's free on Tubi. If William Shakespeare saw this adaptation, here's what I think he would say. The labor we delight in, physics pain. Because I was having a terrible day the day we watched this film. Yeah. And it was so delightful that I felt better. That's good. Once it was done. Like, my day overall wasn't a bad day when it had been a horrible day just hours before. Man, I love that line, though, too. Yeah. The labor we delight in physics pain. Hey, Shakespeare, fucking good line. (laughs) That's like a throwaway line. Like, I don't even know what scene that's in. No, I love that. I've never heard that line. I've probably heard it, but I've never actually heard it. Anyway, Megan. What rating would you give Scotland PA? I would rate Scotland PA 10 failed soft serve cones out of 12 donuts in a dozen at Duncan. Man, he doesn't even give you a baker's dozen? I assume not. <sighs> Fucking cheapskate. What would you rate Scotland PA? Uh, I'd rate it a, a one Macbeth Macbeth with a side of fries. It's not a real rating. I just wanted to do the bit, Megan. No, that's fair. And that's going to do it for this week's Avant Bard. If you like what you heard, please follow us online on all social media platforms at Avant Bard Pod. And if you really liked what you heard, you can support us on patreon.com slash Avant Bard Pod. Bloopers for this week's episode will be up next week. But until then, we will see you anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlow. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at avantbardpod.